it was the really powerful people that I admired that when they'd say these things to me, I was like, well, if this is how you feel, then I don't know what the rest of us are honestly going to do. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Meredith Feynman, founder and CEO of FinePoint, a leadership and professional development company with a focus on visibility and voice, especially for women. Now, I know it's Tuesday, not a normal podcast day on the Smart Money Mama show, but I want to share this special bonus episode with you today because today is launch day for Meredith's new book, Brag Better, Master the Art of Fearless Self-Promotion. Knowing how to own your own achievements and celebrate them, advocating for yourself professionally is a major key to success, particularly for women. And Meredith is committed to helping the qualified quiet those of us who've done the work and have the skills, but are overrun by all the loud people who can't shut up about their often overstated achievements, she wants the qualified quiet to get the attention and opportunities we deserve. That's what Brag Better is all about. I know you mamas are going to love it. So without further ado, let's get Meredith on here to tell us how to brag better. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Meredith for the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Meredith, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to have you here and talk about your book, but I want to first ask you, give us your best brag. What are you most excited about in your life? Oh, man, there's so many of them. My best brag right now is I wrote a book. I'm proud of it. I collaborated on a book previously. So technically, this is my second, but really, it's the first with my name on the door. And I am excited and terrified. Writing a book is such a huge achievement. So first, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. And you have to be able to brag about yourself to even get a book deal, right? That's part of the process. Yeah. So I do a lot of different things. I have a consultancy called Fine Point. I've been a freelance writer for 15 years. I'm an expert on sustainable fashion and podcast host in that vein. And I do a lot around pitching and promotion and all of those sorts of things. And I do a lot of counseling in and around the book industry, having done book press for people, having you know co-written a previous book, all of those sorts of things. Uh, I talk a lot to people. People get stopped up. I mean, writing a book is very hard. Selling a book is really hard. I would say two pieces of advice that I tell anyone wanting to write a book is they're not really worried that you can, if you're going to go the traditional route, which means you get an agent, that agent, you know, pitches you to publishing houses, they offer you a deal versus self-publishing. The two pieces of advice I would say is one, they're not concerned you can write a book. They're concerned you can sell a book. And then the latter is, or the second is your proposal is a pitch document. It's basically, and I wouldn't get any farther than that, but I will say that you know, this is your art. This is your thing. This is who you are. It's a deeply personal experience. It's the classic clash of, of art and capitalism. But a book proposal, I mean, it needs to be good. It needs to follow a certain format, which you can find a lot of that on the internet. It's also a pitch document. It's basically a pitch on you and why you're the person to write this book and why they should buy it. So Meredith, you talk about in the book how you wrote this for the qualified quiet and why it's so important that we're able to self-promote. So you can explain a little bit about who the qualified quiet are and why this is such an important topic for you? 
I have my company, Fine Point. I started about nine years ago. It was more of a traditional PR shop. I became the go-to for individual representation because people saw me. I've always, you know, running tandem to my business, had my own speaking and writing and sort of visible career and personal brand. And people wanted that. And I became the go-to for individual representation, which is to say that CEOs, founders, mostly leadership, not only leadership, lots of women, not only women came to me wanting to figure out how to be in public. And that's what I do. But a couple things. After having been in and around the media for ostensibly my whole life, growing up in the media and politics bubble in Washington, and then doing being in and around media now, we have a really intense inverse relationship between volume and merit. We reward loud. And as much as I'd like to be optimistic and say we can get the loud people to be quiet, I just don't think that's the case. And so that means we got to get the quiet people to get loud. So anyone in any industry, in any situation can think of someone who has done less than they have, but receives more attention and praise. And so my, I identify my audience as the qualified quiet, people that have done the work, but don't know how to talk about it. This obviously deeply affects women, but I cared that the qualified quiet was irrespective of gender and irrespective of level of seniority. And to some degree, it's all of us. We all have to say, and I, I need everyone who has something to say, who's done the work to start talking about it. And that's scary and hard. And that's why I wrote Brag Better. And let's touch on, I know you want to have qualified quiet apply to anyone who has difficulty speaking up, but let's focus in on women for a second. Obviously, this is Smart Money Mamas. We talk to a lot of mothers. And you mentioned in the book about how a lot of women grow up without having a good example for this type of behavior of watching someone be able to take compliments and own their own their own success. So how should mothers of young daughters think about bragging better and think about their own skill set to be setting that good example? Yeah. So I will add a disclaimer that I'm a dog mom, not a human mom, but uh, I do have some thoughts on that. So I feel very lucky in that, you know, I think a lot about like, why didn't this happen to me? Why do I not shut up? Why have I, you know, set out to do this work and how did it kind of skip over me? because it affects so many women. And I always, I mean, you feel it to some degree, like I'm in an extreme situation right now where I'm putting out a book. And so I feel self-conscious sometimes about promoting that. And then I'm like, girl, you wrote a book about bragging, like, come on. Um, but it, it affects <laughs> all of us. And it obviously affects women because there's so much about traditional expression of gender roles that were taught to us and how basically the log line is shut up and look pretty. And so many positive attributes for women were associated with passive behaviors. She was demure. She was shy. She was coy. And then also women are judged on and by metrics that men are not. So you're policed from your voice. I'm sure as a woman with a podcast, people have said things to you about your voice. They have to me, mm -hmm. to how you look, to how old you are. So it makes it very scary to want to do it because there are also very real repercussions of being a woman who decides to use her voice. And my argument is to do it anyway. You know, I was very lucky to, and am very lucky, to have a mother who is very outspoken, who is very ambitious, who is very aggressive. And those things taught me that I could do those things too. And I think that I come from a very privileged position that my voice was heard and encouraged sometimes. I mean, I talk about peers or people wanting to shut me down, but for the most part, you know, I had a more clear path. I think when it comes to parenting, I mean, I don't know, it all seems like very much a trap, not in being a parent. That's not what I mean at all. What I mean is, it's an endless, impossible tightrope upon which to walk. 
it's most important to just encourage the voices of young women, whether you're the mom encouraging yourself or encouraging your kid. And, you know, some of this stuff plays out at certain ages, preteen, teen, that stuff gets a lot more complicated, particularly for young women wanting to talk about themselves and being conscious of who they are in respect to their male peers. And and that is very, very complicated. And that's not what this book is about. But I would say, you know, setting the best example that you can and doing what you can with what you can. I don't think that there's a like perfect way to do this, but I also think encouraging and supporting and bolstering your daughter's voice, telling her that you hear her or that you want to hear what she has to say. Because I think also one difference is that we require more prompting. We're not going to volunteer the information. And that's sort of a lot of what brag better is, is me getting very accomplished women to volunteer the information. (laughs) So I think that goes all the way down to the youngest of us. So I actually have two boys, but my teammate, Lauren, has a, a daughter. And when we were going through your book, we were discussing the fact that you talk about so often when women even get a compliment, which is once again, is not what this book is about. We're trying to own our own success. But when we even get a compliment, we tend to undercut it immediately. And she, as she was reading the book was like, I totally do this. And I don't want to see my daughter watch me do that because how will she ever accept a compliment? So I do think that simply just leading by example can let our girls have a little more confidence in their own success. And a lot of it, I mean, I don't know how much time you have. A lot of it is just patriarchy and conditioning. One thing I'm very clear about in the book is that if women begin to brag, that doesn't mean that like the wage gap and other structural inequality will disappear. But I do think that because I'm also very careful. I feel like a lot of these books and a lot of this prescriptive advice puts the onus on women. And we are so willing to be like, okay, I'll do the work. I'll do it. We will do the emotional and physical labor. We'll just do it. So easing up on some of that too. But yes, I, I want people to feel empowered by stuff to do versus just feelings around it. I mean, I care a lot that Brag Better has highly specific action items versus just like sort of free-floating advice. So let's talk about some of those things. You talk about the three pillars of bragging better and what a good brag has behind it, right? And the first is being proud. You mentioned that you're trying to pull achievements out of often very high achieving women. Yeah. So how do we be more proud of our accomplishments? So the three pillars of bragging better are to be proud, loud, and strategic. I would say proud is the hardest one because that one requires you to dig deep and think about what you've done that you are proud of and what you can allow yourself to be proud of. We all struggle with it because we want to do the things and then just keep doing them. And taking the time to celebrate what you've done is very difficult and hard to do. So I would say the first thing is to be pick even one thing. Like I talk about how there is no, there's no brag too small or too big, but it's not the like sexiest accolade, the biggest prize. It's like, what is something you are really proud of? It it doesn't have to be something that a third party has deemed really special. It's just what's special to you. And getting used to being proud of the work you do is difficult, but that's the first step. And I noted in the book about stating your accomplishments as facts instead of adding a lot of adjective and kind of color around it. Can you give me an example of what that looks like and why that's more impactful? So why do I use the word brag? It's an uncomfortable practice and it's also an uncomfortable word. The issue is that as a writer, I cared that we had a vocabulary to talk positively about professional accomplishment, which does not exist. And I use brag because I'm in the business of getting eyeballs on things and in the business of publicity and other things. Um, So I know that it's a bit subversive and I know that it gets your attention, but we also don't have that many words to talk about 
it's one of the only words we have to talk about this practice of where you're hyping yourself or talking yourself up. Like we don't have one word really. And so the definition of brag means to talk about oneself boastfully, which doesn't give you anything. And then boastful means to talk about oneself with excessive pride, which is a good thing. And it is subjective and it's deeply subjective. So one thing I like to remind people, brags are facts. I mean, they're just facts. You've done the work so have you not done it? If you're, Are you lying about it? No, you have done the things. It's a fact you should state in order to advance your career. That's the basis of Brag Better, this idea that by stating true facts in a way that is proud and loud and strategic, you can advance your career in the varying ways you want. And so it's very necessary. Let's move on to the second one, which is being loud, which in my head, as you, as you say this, right, be proud, be loud, be strategic – Loud sounds like it would be the hardest because that's when we actually have to speak up, right? So what does being loud mean? All these different parts are difficult in different ways to different people. It's a personal experience, obviously, because you're talking about yourself. It's so easy to do it for other people. But when it comes to you, it's really, really hard. So it's about figuring out what to say and how to say it and when to say it. The loud piece can mean the literal volume of your voice, but that's not really what I mean. What I mean by loud is the two things that really break through. And this comes from a decade in public relations, 15 years in writing and pitching and being rejected and getting my voice through is that the two things that really break through are repetition and consistency. So when I say loud, I mostly mean repetition. I mean repeatedly telling people what you do. The problem is we think we say one thing one time and everyone already knows. And there are people that come up to me and ask me how something I did in my business that has like 10 years ago, how that's going. How is it possible that you don't know that like I have been up everyone's butt for seven and a half years about bragging? I have this book coming out. Like, How is it possible that you haven't seen this? And it's possible because every time we share something, whether it's right now we're not in person, we're recording this from quarantine, you know, in person to a group of people on the internet, 100% of the time, 100% of that audience is different. Like there might be a couple crossover people, but you would be shocked as someone who does this for a living that certain people don't know. Like people are lazy. People don't read very far. You have to be very, very clear with you know, who you are, what you've done, what you want. And especially publishing in a pandemic is certainly something. Um, I feel lucky that the book is coming out. It got bumped by a month, which fine. It's out June 16th. So we are in an emergency. And I wrote a new chapter that is free for everyone on the Brag Better website, brag-better.com, that I've spent my quarantine doing on how to brag better from home and online because it became abundantly clear to me. I like was like, oh God, I have a section of my book on handshakes. Like, I don't know if we're ever going to shake hands again. <laughs> and right now it sounds like we aren't, but you know, who knows? Hoping for a vaccine. So you have to just be more explicit and louder than ever. You have to really just hit people in the face with your words rather. And I talk about an old journalism adage that my dad said to me that is attributed to like a 19th century, I think, preacher. But you have to tell people what you're going to tell them. You have to tell it to them and you have to tell them what you told them. And all three steps are necessary. You got to do it over and over and over again. And you think that it's repetitive because you're you and you're sitting there with your stuff, but it's not. That's so interesting, especially because there's a part in the book where you talked about on social media specifically, I think you were talking about Instagram, how it's important to reintroduce yourself almost once a month. And this is something that I've actually seen other creators do. And I hold back from because I'm like, who wants to hear again <laughs> who I am and what I'm doing? If you've been following me, you must know. But you're right that the audience changes and what shows up in people's algorithm changes. 
And that really, really stuck out to me is people aren't, people might not know. They might have so many other things in their lives that they're not focused necessarily on what you're doing at every given moment. Nobody cares. I mean, that's, that's just a rude thing to say, but like a lot of times I say this, it's like, we're all in our own heads in an emergency situation. We are all scared. We're all very anxious. I would imagine my reading comprehension right now is significantly lower than before Corona. People aren't absorbing information because they're worried about getting food. And so you have to be so in the free chapter, which again, free uh, on PDF and in audio, I really cared that my friends who were moms who like have two toddlers dangling off of them, I'm like, I don't need you to look at a screen. You can just put it in your ears while you're giving them a bath. And I also recorded an audio. You can get the whole book on audio while you take a long walk or whatever you want. But yeah, I mean, we're in a situation where focus is really just not a thing that's happening. You have to help people absorb your message and what you want and need more than ever. And so I added a fourth pillar that isn't in the book. So we've Proud, Loud, and Strategic, which is in the book. The fourth is explicit. It's tied to some of the others, but right now, like we don't have any time or space or energy for any dancing around anything, frankly. And mamas, we'll have a link to that extra chapter, the audio and the PDF version in the show notes. But let's take a pause then from loud for a second, Meredith, and talk about explicit. Is it really just being more direct than we would normally be or more repetitive? What does explicit mean? Yeah, it's both of those things. I'd say it's being direct. I'd say like, listen, you can't walk by your boss's office and like pop your head in to remind them that you exist. I mean, it's not that extreme. I mean, it's saying like, hey, can we take 15 minutes so we can go over something that I did that I'm proud of that I want your feedback on or like bragging to a boss, being very explicit about how they want to see your wins if they can't see them, especially because they're at home and managing things or whether that's the general public saying like, hi, I am in quarantine and I have this great article in me. I know you write for X and Y and Z. Are you open to like hearing a pitch from me? Are you open to passing along my information? Like now's the time. Why not? You know, sort of shooting your shot, but also being very direct with it. I think cutting out any flowery language and cutting out all of that from the actual verbiage part of it is important because people just want to digest the stuff and go. Absolutely. And because we're all at home and we're online more than ever, I want to touch on part of the book where you mentioned the importance of having a personal website and an updated resume. Does this apply to people who aren't entrepreneurs? Oh, yeah. I mean, in a strange way, Corona and the massive unemployment numbers, I hope that some people can glean some helpful tips from Brag Better. But yeah, I don't see why not. There's always different opportunities. It's really good practice to update those things so that you can see what you're doing and how you're doing and are you on the path you want to be on? And are you displaying your work in a way that makes it clear to someone else or looks good and feels good to you? And are you chronicling like the things you've done? What's really scary is right now things can very much turn on a dime. And they have for a lot of companies and, you know, nobody's job is ever hundred percent secure, but that's like really in our faces right now. And so I think it's just really good practice to always be updating those sorts of things. And it's really easy to let them fall to the bottom of your list. So something I talk about with bios, like setting a quarterly calendar reminder, instead of trying to like rack your brain a year later of all the things you've done, and then you inevitably leave something out. And then that can just miss an opportunity and make yourself do these things. Even if you just take 15 minutes and do it, it's hard to find the time or just the like emotional capacity to do it. But now is arguably more important than ever. And with where we are just in the world at this point, and like you mentioned, more people might be looking to update resumes or they're worried about their jobs. 
what advice do you have for people specifically in a resume? What do people do wrong where this is like a real opportunity that they could brag on themselves? I talk about the resume and the bio being original brag better spots in the sense that like people already expect to be bragged to in a resume or bio. Like that's what it's for. So if you're leaving out awards, if you're leaving out big project wins, if you're leaving out accolades, I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. I wrote a whole book on why, but um, <laughs> but those are places where people are conditioned to accept the brags. I mean, a lot of the brag better work that can be hard is being out there and bragging maybe to audiences that aren't as open about it. And, you know, when I'm pushing this message or if you're ready to like really do bragging 3.0, but this is like just super duper basic places that I don't see changing in resumes and bios. I see people not being thorough enough. I see people not being explicit enough, which means descriptions of your job, what your title means. Titles don't mean anything anymore. If you're in a specific industry and like a VP, being a VP really means something, that's cool. But especially to the broader public, people don't know the weight that might hold. And I'm just using examples, but for, you know, like even in law, if someone's a partner at a firm, like that's a really big deal. But if you don't know much about law, you know, let's say that partner is trying to write an essay about something to a more general publication. I can't imagine that, that editor wouldn't know that it being a partner is a big deal, but it doesn't hold the same weight. So what does that mean? What kind of business are you bringing in? Like, how long have you been there? Who are some of your biggest clients if you can disclose them? You know, all of those sorts of things. Like, let people help people celebrate you. And they can't do it without you and without your help and guidance because huge part of bragging better is doing so for other people and lifting up other people's voices and doing so for your friends and asking other people to brag for you. So that's a huge part of it as well. And what is your opinion on taking up space on the resume with hobbies? I don't love it because I think that I almost only see women do it. And I often am like, what would a mediocre white dude do? I don't think that men are really putting a gardening hobby on their resume. If it is intrinsic to the personal brand you're building, then that's okay. But I don't want it to outshine any of the work. Like you got to think about what your goals are. Like, listen, if you're fundraising for like a plant related startup, you should put that background there. If you're in finance, it's like, what is that doing? It's not doing anything. I think you need to figure out what those things are doing. I wouldn't say like carte blanche, like never include them, but give them a second thought. Or maybe finance golfing or being on the college golf team would be more relevant for clients. No, I don't mean that. I mean, what you include and don't include matters. And what you're telling that person is, I'm including these things for you to see. So why do you specifically want someone to know about your hobbies? Is it because you want to seem, now I'm really reaching and probably projecting here, it's because you want to seem like less of a workaholic? Is it because you want to seem softer or more appealing? You know, if it's those sorts of things, like I call bullshit on them, but if it's because you think that gardening makes you better at your job and makes you think more about, like if you're in renewable energy, like I have a dedication to actual earth, you know, like I would ask you how it's contributing to what you're already doing. And you mentioned earlier that a big part of bragging better is lifting others up and asking other people to lift you up. What does that look like? And why is that so beneficial? None of this is a solo practice. And I really care so much. Like one of the reasons why I wrote this book too is 
it's not only for women. And I also, you know, I didn't an interview a while back since I've been working on this message since 2013, you know, it's like, Oh, do you just want men to shut up? It's like, no, actually we deeply need you to co-sign the voices of women or other people that are underrepresented or suppressed or whose voices we don't think are worth listening to because you are the default of what we listen to. There is science behind that. We listen to your voices. So actually the best thing you can do is not shut up, but direct some of your authority, quote unquote, towards people that need the amplification. And a huge part of bragging better, you know, this the rising tide lifts all boats. So there's enough space on the stage for everyone, literal or otherwise. And this idea that by lifting up other people, it's a good practice. It's a good thing to do. And I think it's part of a responsibility that you have if you're someone we listen to, if you're someone who has broken through. For me, I really cared that I did about 30 original new interviews in the book. I cared that people had really diverse and different backgrounds, whether it was race or age or ability, that I chronicled those stories and let them just tell theirs versus my trying to tell it for them as a white woman who has been in a privileged position. So I think that you got to pay it forward. You got to pass the mic. And that at its most selfish level really only makes you look better, but honestly is just a good deed to do. Absolutely. And if you're someone who's at work and you're feeling like you're not being heard or that your ideas are being taken, which happens far too often, how do you ask for support and ask for someone to help co-sign your voice? Jessica Bennett, who wrote Feminist Fight Club, is a friend and she's interviewed in the book. And she talks about this idea of a boast bitch, which is something she came up with, uh, Feminist Fight Club, where she had a white guy when she's a journalist and at a particular news entity, she would have him co-sign her pitches, her writing and peace pitches. And they would tag team each other, but specifically she needed his echoing a lot of times to be heard. You got to find an ally and offer it back and say like, hey, like, I really want to make this suggestion in a meeting and it's going to require some degree of vulnerability. And I know there are a lot of office politics, but you can, hey, we're going into this meeting and there's something I want to present. Like, are you open to like maybe teeing up a question for me or making me look good and vice versa? Like I do that all the time with people I strategize and work with on projects or sort of like, you know, scratch your back, you scratch mine, but in a less sort of straight, like, transactional way, but just ask someone that you feel close to at the office because also it doesn't matter that it's like necessarily the most senior man per se, just the echoing of sentiments like makes people hear them. Yeah. There was someone you quoted in your book and I'm going to forget who it is, but about how the other junior people would just nod when someone gave a pitch in a meeting when they were new of like, okay, like multiple people agree with whoever's speaking. And that even helped optically, even though it wasn't senior people. Yeah. It's just repetition. Like that's how as humans, we process things. We need to hear them multiple times. So that's what you got to do. So we have one last pillar we haven't talked about yet, which is being strategic. So in the book you talked about for being strategic, the specific words you want to use and how you want to be represented and how to choose those words. When a new client comes to you, how do you walk through that process with them? I work backwards. That's what I think about with strategic, this pillar of bragging better. There's a lot of noise. We can all just shout into the void. And if you want to just shout, that's cool too. Like I'm all here for more educated people and more thoughtful people shouting, but really you want it to reinforce your goals. So is it fundraising for a company? Is it a raise? Is it an internship? Is it something that... I want to know what you want and then we can work backwards from there because then you have to find your audience. So for example, with clients, I'll always ask them what their goal is. Sometimes they're like muddy about it. I'm like, okay, what's your dream press hit? 
irrespective of your industry, like where do you really want to be or whose voices do you really admire? Getting really kind of granular and finding examples saying, okay, well, let's work backwards from there. Like, what do you like about this person's profile? Okay. She's funny and you find her to be authentic. How can we not copy that, but take elements and then relate it to your voice and your brags? I think is something I think a lot about. If you want to sell your company, okay, well, you're going to have to start talking about money and numbers. You're going to have to get really comfortable with relentless pitching and, you know, because you're helping someone make a big business decision. So I would say those are just a couple examples, but you work backwards from what you want out of this. And it it can be not something so big. It can be just like, I want to be heard more in meetings. I want my boss to pay attention to me. I want my coworkers to listen to me, but working backwards from there is what matters. And then choosing the words to do so. And also sometimes it's a matter of like figuring a lot of this is like trial and error. I can only control so much of the conversation around you and your work. You have to just try and you're going to mess up. I've messed up. I've bragged when I'm, you know, not supposed to or said the wrong thing or turned people off or left something out. So it's just the trying part and the getting used to it. This is not like a month-long activity you're going to do. This is like ostensibly the rest of your career. Yeah, I found that section really interesting. When I was promoted at my old job, so I used to be a hedge fund manager, I was assigned a speaking coach. I was terrified of speaking in public, like totally rashes all over my face speaking in public. And one of the first exercises we did together is she's like, I want you to pick the three words you want people to associate with you when you speak in meetings, when you speak with clients. And then we're going to work on your body language and your speaking to align with those things. So I remember picking those words and I still, I got better, but I was still really uncomfortable, but it wasn't until I left to do this work that I got to pick new words because I was trying to fit into a personality to do that work. Right. And to be respected in that realm. And so when I picked new words to speak here, now I can get on stage and speak no problem. I'm very comfortable, but it was interesting to, as I went back and revisited that exercise, as I read your book of like, Oh, those words have just changed. So I talk about superpower words. Like Yes, the words that you use or that are associated, I, I mean, might change a lot, but baseline, they're around like insightful and funny and relatable and thoughtful. And, you know, there's a circle around the same sort of themes, but they do change and the things you want change. And you, you're not like, you don't have to stick to these three things for the rest of your career. And yeah, I think that figuring out there's a whole list in the book of superpower words, like what makes you feel like you and what, cause you don't want to like just put on a persona here. I mean, when you're doing public speaking, I talk a lot about public speaking in the book and Susan Cain, who wrote quiet, you know, incredibly best-selling, best-selling, best-selling book about the power of introversion. She had a very, very serious debilitating fear of public speaking. And I mean, I did too. And I ignored it for a really long time until someone wanted to pay me for it. And now, you know, I speak constantly and would be on a plane more to speeches if I weren't, we weren't quarantined, but I avoided it. And I was like, well, someone wants to pay me and I'm not going to say no to that because I'm not dumb. So I got to enforce myself to do it. And now it's a huge part of what I do. And every time I go on stage, I'm like, you know, the first 30 seconds, I'm like, I'm going to pass out and die. But inevitably I don't. And fear of public speaking is more common than a fear of death. It's a very unnatural, unnatural thing. And, you know, in our most primitive sense means that like if you're standing alone in front of a group, somehow isolated from this group, that meant they were going to kill you. (laughs) Like, so... (laughs) You know, because you're not really supposed to be standing alone in front of a group of people. I mean, now we're talking like really, really like thousands of years ago. But it makes sense. And a lot of people choose to just not do it. 
And that's a shame. And I understand why you don't, but you could also try. Yeah, I think that's a good reminder too of like fear of public speaking, imposter syndrome. These aren't just you. Like this is the majority of the population. (laughs) Yeah, I have that around this book. And I wrote a book about being proud of your accomplishments. It's so universal. You're so not alone in having trouble talking about yourself or feeling good about your achievements that it's not only what I do for a living, it's the basis of a lot of writing and thought. And every I have represented household names and the most senior people I've ever met and the things that come out of their mouth about how they feel about what they've done are heartbreaking. And that's why I do what I do is that like I pivoted my business because I noticed that nobody knew how to talk about themselves, that women didn't know how to brag, but specifically that I was representing and meeting very, very high powered people who could not accept their accomplishments and celebrate them. And I was watching the trajectory of really young women that wanted to work for me that couldn't do it, friends where I'd hop in and play publicist. But truly, it was the really powerful people that I admired that when they'd say these things to me, I was like, well, if this is how you feel, then I don't know what the rest of us are honestly going to do. You wouldn't believe the most senior people that you would think be like, oh, yeah, I'm a total rock star or can't talk about their work at all, can't talk about themselves at all. And that sucks. And that's something I really want to change. And I think this book, Meredith, will absolutely do that. It was such a great read. And the one last point I really want to drive home because this was a differentiation in the book that stood out to me is the difference between self-deprecating and verbal undercutting when you're talking about yourself and how to avoid verbal undercutting. So can you explain the difference and why verbal undercutting is so negative? This is a really fine line to walk. I'm someone who cares a lot about comedy and humor and making fun of myself and having fun and playing with words. But if that's not your strong suit, don't do it first. But there's a difference between verbal undercutting and self-deprecation. So self-deprecation is like poking fun at yourself, lighthearted, joking, but it can very, very easily veer into verbal undercutting, which is just essentially insulting yourself. And the latter, verbal undercutting, whether you're minimizing something you've done or someone wants to give you a compliment and you shut it down or you talk about the work you've done but in like a in a tone that makes it clear you're not proud of it and not with the right words that anxiety that you have about it like not only does it not work for you the bigger problem is it doesn't work for other people so if you say and I'll I say this particularly around promotion so I will flag for friends people I feel close enough that'll say like shameless self promotion or I have a plug here or I hate to brag but I mean, you may as well have not shared that at all. The problem is that instead of just saying, I was on TV and I killed it and I'm really proud, you know, would love for you to watch it versus, hey, plug, like, I hate doing this, but, you know, I was on TV. Here's the clip. Like, which one makes you want to engage? And the latter, which is an example of verbal undercutting, you're just shutting yourself down before anyone else can. You're afraid that people are going to shut you down, but then I don't know what to do with that. And I've seen examples of this where I'm like, well, I can tell you're uncomfortable. So should I watch it or should I not watch it? Or should I share it or should I not share it? And then it shuts me down. And that's where the problem is. Because the truth is, if the former, if you do it in a graceful you know, way, you know, I elaborate on in the book, then I'm like, oh, you know what? I actually have a friend who is a TV producer for a different show. I should send this to her. And then that person is like, oh, wow, like, you know, we don't have space for that person right now. But like, let me put her in our roster and I'll keep that clip. And then- Two months later, they're like, you know, I saw a clip of a woman that was good and maybe we should put her on and they email her and then she gets a different TV hit and then she gets to further her message and further her career. 
it's the stopping and the starting. Like if you you run both sliding door scenarios, like in one, it's just dead in the water. And the other, you continue to do the things you want to do. Yeah, it's that whole message you were talking about in the book too of other people are just uncomfortable listening to someone completely undercut themselves. Like if you imagine like anytime you've heard someone do that, your skin's kind of crawling for them of like, just stop, just tell me what you want to tell me. Problem is it doesn't allow other people to celebrate you. Like, I can't tell you what you want me to do with that. Like, if what you really want is to be on TV more, but you share it in that way, then I'm not going to want to promote you because I can tell you don't want to promote you. So, like, even if you don't fake it till you make it in terms of, like, and a lot of this is doing so and figuring out a way that, like, even though you want to put those negative qualifiers, you just don't do it and you do it and you and you post it and you realize you haven't died. Like, then it's like, oh, okay, like, nobody's come for me. Nobody has insulted me. It's doable and it's n- nobody's really going to come for you for it but you got those boogie monsters that they will. And you got to power through <laughs> and realize that you're going to be okay. Yeah. So Meredith, what's one thing you want uh, women listening to this to do in their own careers and in their own life after listening? Buy my book, please. I would like <laughs> to write more books. I mean, there are lots of small and big things. So let's pick something small that I feel like everyone can do. Let's look at your bio. No, I'm going to switch that around. No, let's buy the domain of your name. That's actually very easy to do. So I'm extremely pro personal website. I think right now with also a lot of work changing in terms of like being online more than ever. And, you know, as I said, I have this free chapter about doing your work from home because we're in such a weird time. If you go to GoDaddy or I want my name or Google domains, none of these people are paying me to say this. uh, You can look for the domain name of your full name and you can purchase it for about $10.99 a year. So, you know, I have MeredithFeynman.com and I have .org.co and .net. I tell people to grab as many as they can. But I am very pro-personal website, whether or not you're ready to do one. Uh, reserving that space online is really important because you never know if someone who has a similar name or something happens. You want to be able to own that, you know, little piece of the internet for yourself for when you decide to use it. You know, if you do nothing else, if you have a common name, consider using a middle initial. If it's already taken, consider using a hyphen. So that's what I would tell you to do. Grab your personal domain. Perfect. All right, Meredith, before we let you go, we have to have you do a little bit of a silly thing and have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. Okay. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. It has a number of questions about money and life. I think you're ready. Okay. What was your favorite college class? Oh, I did this great. I took only one. God, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was a film class. It's only one of the few I took. I loved that. Oh, and then I took a really great Spike Lee class and Spike Lee came and that was really cool. That is really cool. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Meredith, where can people find out more about you, about Fine Point or your book? Yeah. So I am everywhere at MeredithFeynman.com or just, you know, Meredith Feynman on varying social media. Brag Better is the name of the book. Master the Art of Fearless Self-Promotion is the subtitle. You can order it wherever you get books, support local bookstores, indie bookstores, and it's at Brag Better on all the social medias. And I have a podcast called It Never Gets Old, a firsthand account of all things secondhand and sustainable, where I talk about my 20 years of being in and around secondhand resale fashion and what that means for sustainability. So you can listen to that where you listen to podcasts. I love that. And I love having the personal domain name right in there. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us and writing this amazing book. 
Thank you for reading it. Mamas, do you remember a time when someone who was less qualified than you got an opportunity, a raise, a promotion, a chance to lead a meeting, just because they made themselves look more qualified? I think we've all been there. I know I hate talking about myself, at least in positive terms. I really, really do. But I know that image is important and that it's something I have to work on. It's why I loved this conversation with Meredith so much and her book, Brag Better. I actually updated my LinkedIn profile right after speaking to her. I truly hope her insight helps you raise your voice in support of your own skills. Be proud, mama. We covered a lot on today's episode, so as always, I've rounded up my top three favorite takeaways for you to carry into your own bragging. First, you're not alone in not wanting to talk about yourself. No one does. Well, at least the vast majority of women don't. If you're feeling like you don't want to talk about yourself because you haven't really done anything yet or because imposter syndrome is creeping up, you're truly not alone. Meredith has worked with some of the most badass, successful women who still feel uncomfortable talking about themselves and owning their achievements. We've been taught that talking about ourselves is rude or vain, but if you don't speak up for yourself, who will? If you don't feel confident in your own achievements, how will other people feel confident in the work you do? It's going to feel uncomfortable, but it will get easier the more you do it. Find coworkers and support each other. Make a schedule of how and when you'll remember to brag about yourself. Start flexing the muscle. And maybe if we lead by example, we can raise a next generation of daughters who are proud and confident in how amazing they are. Second, do not undercut yourself. Meredith's explanation of the difference between self-deprecating and verbal undercutting was one of my favorite parts of her book, and I loved what she said about it in today's episode. As soon as you say, I hate sharing things like this, or self-promotion alert, or I have no idea how I ended up on this stage, we diminish our own achievements. We make other people uncomfortable. Think about a time you heard someone talking about themselves that way. Did it make you want to check out what they had to share? Listen to their expertise? Or did it make you a little skeptical? As Meredith said, think ahead. If you're sharing a clip of you speaking, are you writing something with that clip that will make you look confident and professional if a friend forwarded it to a media producer or event coordinator? Would that producer want to hit play on your clip or read your description and just assume you're an amateur? Your achievements are just facts. You can still be humble. You can say, I was honored to get to speak at XYZ conference and wanted to share this clip of the event where I shared my thoughts on fill in the blank. But always use language that shows you're confident in the work you've done, even if you have to fake it sometimes. And finally, third, be explicit. If you don't share your achievements, who will? Make a list of the things you've accomplished in your career, the things that you do well and bring you joy. Nothing is too small, especially as you're just starting out. But make your achievements clear. Did you successfully lead a team? Did you save the company money? Win a big client? Keep meetings running on schedule? Once you've allowed yourself to write out and see your achievements, big and small, commit to starting to share them. Speak up in meetings, mention your successes in passing to your boss, forward along positive emails from clients, and don't be afraid to mention your wins more than once. People are busy and distracted. Repetition helps the message sink in. We have a tendency to say something once and think everyone knows from that point forward, but we need to repeat ourselves. The more specific you can be, the more you can raise your voice, the more opportunities you'll find come your way. I want to leave you with this final bit of inspiration. In Meredith's book, Mighty Forces founder Amanda Hirsch says, 
If more women stepped up and owned their stories, if they declared in a bigger way who they are and what they're up to in the world, it would shift our collective sense of what's possible for women to achieve. If more women, leaders in particular, took the time to share their professional stories, it would create a world where it feels more possible for women to lead in government, in business, in entertainment, in technology, in every area. You've got this. I want to thank Meredith again for joining me on this special episode of the Smart Money Mama show and for sharing her tips on how we can effectively self-promote. Be sure to check out her new book, Brag Better, and download her new free chapter, How to Brag Better from Home and Online, both of which are linked in the show notes along with a summary of our key takeaways at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Meredith. Thanks for hanging out. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.